0: Good night. Um, I am Amy Weatherford, and I am now, officially since August, the middle school director here. And it's been a little bit of time since I've been up in front teaching, but normally it was a class of, like, sixth or seventh graders in, a middle, in like, a social studies class. So I want to start out... As we jump into this series again, confessing I am a fan. I need you to know I'm a fan of a few things. I'm a fan of Captain America, who happens to be the best of the superheroes. (laughs) I am a fan of all things Jane Austen. All of her books, the knockoff books, the movies that have been made about her, and then the really bad movies that were made off her movies. I am a fan of the Royals. I was a fan when they were a losing team, I was a fan when they won, and I'm a fan now that they're a losing team again. Speaking of, I'm a fan of the Kansas State Wildcats. I was a child who grew up in the 80s and 90s with a very horrible football team in Johnson County where everybody loved the Jayhawks. I know what it's like to be a true fan. I am a fan of all things history. I love random information and facts. I love textbooks, like if somebody put a history textbook in front of me, I want to read it. I love all things about the U.S. presidents. I own a PEZ dispenser of every president except for the current one, and just because, I, I don't know if they've made it yet, but I have otherwise every president a PEZ dispenser of them. I'm a fan of things. I like being a fan of things. I enjoy cheering on my royals, even though it doesn't usually help out. I love cheering on the Wildcats. We were going to have some moments on Saturday. But I love being in the fans, rain, snow, whatever. I love being a fan and getting excited about stuff. But being a fan doesn't define us. It doesn't give our lives purpose. It doesn't give us meaning. It doesn't do really anything for us except a nice emotional experience and we can bond with some other people. That's why we don't want you to be a fan of Christ. And as we get into this series, we're calling you to be a follower of Christ. Because the identity, the purpose, the meaning, the longing being met in my soul, redemption, being saved from just the depravity and the sin that is inside me apart from Christ, being a follower is what's going to make those things happen, not being someone you just cheer on. So we're talking about being a fan, and we're talking about being a follower. And last week, Tim started this series off by asking three questions. Have you made a decision for Jesus, or have you committed to Jesus? And, no, not yet. (laughs) He also asked, do you know about Jesus, or do you really know him? And if you listen closely, do you know about him? I know a lot about the presidents. I know a lot about Royals players who nobody else probably knows about, like Joe Randa or Mark Quinn. Those men were dear to my heart back in the day. Ray Sanchez. See, it does nothing. But do you know him? Does he know you? And then is Jesus one of many, one of many things that I am interested in, I enjoy n- learning about, or see, you're one and only? Is he the one thing that motivates you, that inspires you, that your life is built upon? And so we looked at those three questions last week, and then this week, we're going to be going into Matthew 23, and we're going to look at Jesus confronting the religious leaders, the hotshots of the Jewish society, and his words kind of knock, maybe not them, but others in the audience, and maybe a few of them, because we know some of those Pharisees ended up coming, becoming followers of Christ. It kind of knocked them out of their confidence, their stance, um, Have you ever been doing something, and you're pretty confident where you're at, you're doing what you're supposed to, things are going well, and you think you're doing what you should be, and kind of knocked off course? Um, I am really good at randomly be walking and talking and not paying attention. I have walked into pillars before. There are just those moments, and so I'm going to show you two video clips Both of them are actual, not, like, YouTube videos. Like, one is a video. Apology out there. Yes, this is my niece, who you'll see. And, yes, this is, like, my siblings, and this is how we deal with things in our family. We laugh. But just some little kids having fun, and my niece gets knocked off course. She was fine. She's still good. Her brain didn't get too jarred. It's all right. And then the second video I'm going to show you is me doing what I did at school, being a good middle school teacher. We were supposed to be in the hallway, and I was just doing what I was supposed to, supervising, and got kind of, yeah. All right. Those <laughs> <laughs> are the parents laughing. You want to see it again? I was just doing what I needed to. This is a hallway camera. I actually stopped and thought, what in the world? I thought some student had got mad at me and rammed me, but and I will tell you, that hurt, but I, I was pretty good and solid in taking that blow. So there are times where things, like we think we're where we need to be, we, we're doing what we need to do, and maybe God needs to knock us off course a bit or bump us to be like, hey, maybe you're not as, right in what you're thinking. Or maybe you're following something devotedly, but you're not actually heading the right way. And so Jesus is going to be talking to these people that if we looked at them, we'd be like, oh my gosh, these are the true followers of God. They were the religious leaders. Everybody looked up to them. And that's the ones who Christ is going to call out. So we are going to go to Matthew 23. if my paper will not stick together. Jesus said to the crowds and the, to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. So catch that. They're sitting on Moses' seat, and that all it means is like they're sitting in a place of authority to teach to you the law. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Like, If they're speaking the word, obey it. But not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. And we've heard that line before like, practice what you preach. That's not what was happening. Then you see later on it says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds just to be seen by others. They were rule followers, but a lot of it was just for the outer appearance. The way that they would carry themselves in society when they would walk around, the way they would clothe themselves, they would do all these things to gain attraction to just seeing how religious and godly they were. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. And so he continues on with this later on, and we're going to catch up to some of the other parts. But basically he's like, you are all about making sure it's clean and great on the outside, But inside it's filthy. Now, how many of you, when you go to get a cup out, look inside to see if it's clean first? And the rest of you, you should. (laughs) I know the other day, my sister and I always clean my dishes, and I have mugs hanging, and she went to grab one, and she trusted it would be clean. I don't know where it came from, because I have not seen ants at all this summer, but (laughs) she was drinking, and she goes, Something bit my lip, and an ant came out. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of fun. But you always want to make sure the inside is clean if you're drinking out of a cup. That's kind of disgusting if you don't. And so that's how he's describing them. It's clean on the outside, but the inside is just filthy. He then goes on to say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like White, whitewashed tombs with outwardly appear beautiful, but but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you're outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Basically, you would see these tombs. And has anybody ever been into like been in New Orleans? Okay, like you will see these like because they don't have basements and they because they're below sea level they can't bury. So they have kind of similar like these tombs, graves, and they might be really cool looking, but what's inside is not cool. Like, it's rotted bodies and bones. Like, it's not good. And so, it's, it's like a tomb that looks really nice on the outside, but inside is death. So, he's talking to these religious leaders, and there's two groups of them. One of them are the Sadducees, and one of them are the Pharisees. And the Sadducees we were kind of the more liberal group, and the Pharisees were kind of more of the conservative group. The Sadducees, it was all about what family you were born in, and you would ha- hold all of the most prestigious, high positions. You would be the elders, the chief priest, etc. They're the names you recognize like when you're reading through what was going on when Christ was going through his trials. So you have the Sadducees, and they worked a lot with the Romans. Actually, most of the Jewish people couldn't stand them because they compromised. And they really didn't really care so much about the laws and living by the law. They just wanted to kind of work with the Romans and do their thing. And it was all about their position, their status. So you have the Sadducees, and then you have the Pharisees. And these were the people that truly were respected by the common people. These were the people who the everyday Jewish people looked up to because they were the ones who came on their turf and said, hey, we want to teach you the law, we want to help you live the law. Unfortunately, they took the law that had been provided, the Torah, and they added to it, and they interpreted it, and they gave them a lot more than they could ever handle because no one's going to perfectly follow the law. But they put all those laws onto them. So we have the Sadducees who are born into this position. They have their heritage, and they're going to live in those positions and love it because that's the family, the lineage. That's who they were born into. The Pharisees, they they get their position and their authority because they worked hard for it. They have studied the law. They know the law. They have it memorized. They wear really cool fancy things when they on their foreheads and on their arms, and so that they can have the scripture with them at all times. And so the Pharisees prided themselves on how good they knew that law, and they followed it. And then they called society to follow that with them. And that's where it comes to that point where it says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders— Following laws is hard, and if we were to really have to do this on ourselves, where we would have to just be good enough and be perfect enough for God, we couldn't carry that burden, and that's what they were calling the people to. And so Christ confronted this. He said, guys, you're not following me. You're not following God. You're missing it. And Jesus, if you notice, used the word hypocrite quite a bit in this passage. Now, the word hypocrite, we know what that means. Somebody will say one thing, and then they act different or whatever. But actually, it comes from the Greeks. Now, I taught ancient civilization, so like all this, like, I like this stuff. But the ancient Greeks in theater, the word hypocrite came because you would only have, like, one actor Maybe two, and they would constantly have to switch out masks to be the different characters. And if, in reality, a lot of us throughout the day tend to put on different masks, depending who we're with and what image we want to put on and how we want them to see us. And Jesus calls them out for it. He says, they do their deeds to be seen by others at the bottom in verse 5. And honestly, we could probably fall into one of these camps. Some of us have grown up going to church, learning the Christianese. We know how to put on the mask, talk like Christians, act like Christians, we know the songs to sing, what to say, what to do. And it's something we've kind of just inherited. It's our parents' faith, maybe it's our grandparents' faith, maybe it's an aunt or uncle who brought us to church, but it's never really become our own. We haven't actually fallen in love with this guy named Jesus who came and saved to save us from our sins. We haven't gotten to really know him. We might know about him, but we haven't gotten to know him. Maybe your faith is more about honoring your heritage than surrendering your heart. And so we have the Sadducees. Then on the other hand, some of us are kind of like the Pharisees. We would measure our faith by our hard work. How many Bible verses we've memorized. If you can name all of the books of the Bible. Um... I mean, I used to be on a Bible quizzing team and you had these weird little things you sat on and you would quickly jump up and then you'd have to quote a verse or they'd start a verse and you had to finish it. I mean, that was pretty amazing, but that didn't make me a follower of Christ. So it was about head knowledge. It was about being moral. It was about doing the right thing. But head knowledge and morality doesn't save us. It doesn't redeem us and it doesn't deal with what's inside of us. It just helps clean up the cup. Make sure it's clean on the outside, but you're still drinking out of something nasty on the inside. So we have the Sadducees and we have the Pharisees. And honestly, some of you might be like, I don't, I'm just figuring this out, so maybe I'm not in that world of those who are trying to be a Christian by what I'm doing. And maybe it's not that I just was born into a family and I've kind of gone through the motions, but I haven't made it my own. I'm still just figuring this out. But a lot of us fall into this camp, and that's kind of who we're talking to. Tonight is these religious people. Guys, religion doesn't save us. Following rules doesn't save us. It doesn't redeem us. It doesn't deal with our sin. It might make us feel better about how others see us, but it doesn't save, it doesn't redeem, it doesn't cleanse and heal. Here's the funny thing. I didn't get to choose what family I grew up in, and I grew up in a really strong Christian family. I had two parents who did not have that, and they became Christians when my older two brothers were toddlers. So I grew up in a home where we lived at church. Actually, I kind of did live at church at times because I was from a family of 10. I got left at church quite a few times. And the elders of the church knew us well enough to be like, all right, I'll take the Weatherford kid home today. So we lived at church. It was like a second home. I learned my ABCs. I learned to count, and I learned the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Like, it just all went together. But that wasn't something I chose. It wasn't my own. I knew what to say. I knew what's not to say. I could retell Bible stories. I could pray the prayer. I could sing the song. I was good at being a Christian. And if people in my life didn't love me enough to say, hey, stop. Don't just have this empty faith. Don't just go through the motions. I would be still going through that. Or, like many of the people in my life, I would be walking away completely. And unfortunately, that's what happens a lot of times because it comes about being following rules, and then at some point, it's just not fun playing the Christian game, and people will walk away from their faith. But luckily, fortunately, and by God's grace, he put men and women into my life, including my parents, including youth leaders and Sunday school teachers and people who said, no, 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 this is what it looks like to follow Christ. This is what it looks like. And they modeled it out, and they called me to come alongside them and to follow Christ. And that made the difference in my life of just being someone who played the game and somebody who actually is experiencing what it means to truly know Christ and to be his follower. Having head knowledge about God and his word, living a moral life simply addresses the outside appearance. And I'm going to keep saying that because, guys, a lot of us are really blinded to the fact that that's all we're doing. We're making sure things look good, we're upholding an image, but we haven't gone inside and really dealt with the state of what's inside. It doesn't touch the inside. It doesn't save us, redeem us, cleanse us within from the sin that is saturating our heart, our soul, our mind if we don't know Christ. Following rules cleans out the outside of the cup, but it still leaves the inside filthy. In the book Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, which is what we're basing this series on, these are his words. Kyle says, these religious types were the fans that Jesus seemed to have the most trouble with. Fans, now sorry, this might get up into some of your business, because it did mine. Fans who will walk into a restaurant and bow their heads to pray before a meal just in case someone's watching. Fans who won't go to a certain movie at the theater, but will watch the same movie online when no one else is around. Fans who may feed the hungry and help the needy. And then make sure they work it into every conversation for the next two weeks. Fans who go to the party Saturday night and then show up Sunday morning a little hungover. Fans who open up the Bible app on their phone and read along during the message and then later that evening use the same phone to watch porn. Fans who spend several hours staring in a mirror getting ready for the day to make sure they look perfect on the outside but who can't find the time to spend 10 minutes examining what's going on in the inside. Fans like seeing other people fail in their mind, because in their minds it makes them look better. Fans whose primary concern is what other people think. Fans who are reading this and assuming I'm describing someone else. Fans who have worn the mask for so long that they have fooled even themselves. Jesus has harsh words for these fans who are trying to impress others through their religious credentials. It's interesting to note that just as severe as Jesus was with those religious leaders, he is just as tender and encouraging to those who have genuinely given him their hearts, even if they don't have it all together on the outside. Please don't miss this. Jesus doesn't expect followers to be perfect, but he does call them to be authentic. I love that. I feel like a lot of times we feel like before we can walk into church or do things, we have to be all put together. And if you look through Scripture, Jesus did not use the perfect put-together people. He used the messes and the broken because those were the ones he got the greater glory from. So my question is, are you more focused on the outside than the inside? We will get there. Fans focus on the outside and neglect the inside. Are you a fan? We're going to look at four different indicators of what a fan is like. And we're going to see, with each of those indicators, Jesus' comments to these leaders, some more of his woes and hypocrites... And then we're going to look at what the truth is for us who want to be followers. So the first one is fans choose rules over a relationship. Now the relationship they're talking about is Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 13 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Like, if somebody were to say to me, Amy Weatherford, the way you live is shutting the door so other people cannot get to heaven, that would really bother me. Because I'm like, no, I want, I want people to want to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, like, because of how I live. But the way they were living was putting so many rules and laws on the people that they weren't actually pointing them to the one who could save Now, here's the interesting things. These religious leaders were the ones who had studied the prophecies. They knew about the foretelling of this Messiah who was standing in their midst. They had read it. They knew it. They were the experts. And they were the first to reject him. And then they were calling others to turn from him. Galatians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. There is nothing I can boast about what God has done in my life. It is him and him alone. Because whenever I try to help him out, I really mess it up. How many of you have ever had a little kid want to try to help you do something, and you are like, Oh. I don't think so, like, you find something for them, like, you're not going to be like, yeah, come in, come help me do this surgery right now, like, we're not going to call them to do that, God is, God's the expert, he's going to do the work, he just wants us to be available for him to do the work in us, it's not something that we can boast because he's the one doing the work. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people and Savior of the world had arrived in the very ones who knew the scriptures and could have told the people they rejected Him. Are you <laughs> choosing rules and putting on an image over a relationship with Jesus Christ? And how's that going for you? Like, is doing rules that you will never be able to live up really worth missing out on a relationship that will satisfy you and is the only one who can redeem and heal and save and give you peace? Are you choosing rules over a relationship with Jesus Christ? The next indicator that you are hey now a fan is that you choose laws over love. Sometimes there's rules and there's things, but if those rules are meant to protect people and to respect people, to honor people, to help people out, to give them security, like that's a good thing. And if ever we thought there was a rule that would actually cause someone harm, like there's no running around the pool, but if I run around the pool because there's a little kid drowning or somebody is harmed, me breaking that rule for that moment to help that person, that's choosing love over the law. And unfortunately, the Pharisees weren't willing to go that route. And if you read in the Gospels, there's a lot of moments where there's this, like, you can only do this and this on the Sabbath, you can't do this on the Sabbath, etc. But it's like, Jesus was accused of doing things to break the Sabbath because he was healing and helping people in need. Matthew says, Woe to you blind guides who say... if." anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he is bound by his oath you blind fools for which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred they had all these crazy laws and you can swear on this but not on this and all it did was it just left out the love that god was calling them to have for people christ earlier in matthew says let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Just real basic, love one another. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, they're all summed up in this words: You should love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Instead of trying to follow all these laws, if we just simply treat people with love and we put the needs of others before our own, man, we kind of just sum up everything else. These spiritual leaders may have been keeping the letter of the law, but they were missing the heart behind it. The point of the law was for people to deal truthfully with one another treating others with honor and respect, but they were technically obeying the commands of Scripture, but they were missing the point of those commands. Like fans today, they would give their time and attention to following all the rituals, the religious ceremonies, but would neglect to show God's love to the people around them. Which was the point of the rules in the first place? Are you choosing laws over loving people? Fans are motivated by guilt over grace, the guilt and the weight of not being enough, the guilt or weight of not knowing if that person's impressed or not, if worried about what image you're portraying, over the freedom of just grace and knowing that I'm a work in progress, and that Christ is doing the work, and it's not me. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. As opposed to Christ saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your soul's for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you can see that contrast. Christ is just like, no, let me carry it. Let me take you through this. Let me heal you. Let me help you through this. And they are just loading on more and more interpretations of the law that the people can't live up to as it is. The weight of the laws and the rules were being placed on the Jewish people, and it was exhausting. The effort required to keep up the outer appearance that didn't align with who they were on the inside was consuming and draining. Trying to be somebody you're not is draining. Trying to keep the law in order to earn God's favor is wearisome. Jesus came to bring freedom from the weight of rule following and religion. To those of you who have been hauling around a long list of rules, to those who are pretending to be more than you really are, to those who are weighed down with fear and guilt of religion, and to all the fans who are worn out on religion, Jesus invites you to follow him. Are you motivated by the guilt of following the rules? Or are you inspired by the grace that comes from following Jesus Christ? And lastly, fans miss what really matters. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel." And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's not about making sure you tithe the exact amount. It's the heart behind it. In a later part of the chapter, Kyle says, "'Maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught all about Jesus. Through fear and guilt, you learned to keep as many of the rules as possible, hoping it would be enough to keep you out of hell. You were taught to observe different religious traditions and rituals in an effort to appease God. Instead of becoming a follower of Christ, you became a follower of religion.'" It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian college-age kids who no longer go to church or see any need to. They have little, in any interest, if any, interest in Jesus or anything spiritual, for that matter. Their parents who raised them in the church try to understand what went wrong. A few months ago, I was speaking in Houston, Texas, and a good-sized man with a good-sized belt buckle came up to me with tears in his eyes, and he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter, and how she went to college and totally turned her back on her, the faith. And as soon as he started the story, I knew how it would go. I had heard it so many times, I even, even the details seemed predictable. But when he finished, he didn't ask me why she was doing this or what had gone wrong. He wasn't looking for an explanation. Instead, with one sentence, he put his finger on what he thought happened. Here's what he said. We raised her in the church but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? She was raised to look right on the outside, but was not taught to give the attention to the inside. Like some of you, she has been taught to keep all the rules and say the right prayers, but somehow missed that those things come from a personal and genuine relationship with Jesus. She was made to feel guilty for what she did wrong, but didn't realize God's amazing grace was available through Christ. Fans focus on the outside. Followers focus on the inside. Where is your focus? Are you a fan or a follower? And there's just three questions left on your guys' handout just for you to process. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Are those things matching up? And if not actually take the time to look inside and determine why that is. Do you think you are on the right road because of what you've done? The Pharisees would have said they were on the right road, they were doing what they needed to because of how they lived. But it's not about what we've done, it's about what he can do. And then lastly, do I know Jesus and does he know me? Tim shared a verse last week from Matthew 7, and I know even in our small group it came up because it's kind of a scary thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, one who do, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness these words are not what we would picture jesus like mr like we picture like more happy mr roger friendly i love you let's be my friend but reality is because christ loves us he's willing to address the hard issues he's willing to ask the tough questions so that we aren't just going on believing a lie and so we are going to do one more song and then we're going to go to small groups. But before we do that, if this is stuff you're still wrestling with, talk to your small group leaders. I know Tim will be around, I will be around. Don't just push it off, deal with it, address it, wrestle with these questions. Let me pray for us and then we are going to do one last song. God, you are good and you are holy and you love us and you are gracious and you meet us where we're at. And so, God, I pray that each one of us would really wrestle with what's going on in our insides. Are we following rules, trying to impress, or are we really allowing you to do the work that you alone can do in our lives? Lord, I pray that if there are students here that have still things to work through, that they would not set it aside, but they would wrestle with you, Lord, and that you would reveal your word and your truth and your love to them. Thank you for this time, Lord. I pray that you would bless this time of worship following and just our time in small groups. Amen.